on the 13th of May in 1373, exactly 647 years to the day that this episode goes out, a 30-year-old woman laid near death in Norwich in England. She was being cared for by several people, including her mother. Though she had received the last rites of the church four days earlier, the curate was called again on the eighth day of her illness because she seemed in danger of imminent death. Taking the cross from the young boy who accompanied the curate, the priest held it before the dying woman. Gazing upon it, she saw the room dim around her as the cross grew radiant. Suddenly, the woman's pain diminished. Through the rest of that day and again that night, she experienced a series of revelations that she recounts in the earliest existing English text known to be written by a woman, called A Book of Showings to the Anchoress Julian of Norwich. A revised version, called Julian of Norwich's Revelations of Love, is a landmark in the history of theology and history. It was written in the vernacular, the language of everyday speech, as Julian was not of the educated aristocracy. It demonstrates the development of the English language, and, as a document of its time, it bears witness to the vitality of English spirituality in the century before the Reformation. Also, as a work of a woman, it draws attention to the active participation of women in medieval times. Writing in an era of plagues and persecution, Julian of Norwich grapples with the problem of evil and with the challenge it presents to those who seek to believe in love as a force for change in society. Her apparent struggle to reconcile her inner questionings with the teachings she has received in visions of heaven and hell, but also in the teachings of the church, may perhaps be as significant as any conclusion she reaches. My name is Richard Shepherd, and this is Hallowed Histories. Julian of Norwich, this young woman from Norwich, was a contemporary of great English authors like Geoffrey Chaucer and William Langland, and of the theologian John Wycliffe. This was an exciting time to be a writer like them, as there were plenty of things going on to draw inspiration from. The turmoil was facing the 14th century, including such exciting things as the Babylonian captivity of the church, 1309-1337, the Great Schism of the Papacy, 1378-1417, the Hundred Years' War, which lasted slightly over a hundred years at 1337-1453, and of course, the Black Death, 1347-1352, as well as the Peasants' Revolt in England in 1381. This was a great time for religious mystics, who saw in these tumultuous events portents of the end times, as predicted in the Book of Revelations. English mystics such as Walter Hilton, Richard Rowell, Marjorie Kemp, and the unknown author of the mystical prose work The Cloud of Unknowing, all found themselves pondering if the end was indeed nigh. Julian of Norwich, though, was different. For a start, as we have said, Julian presented a vision in the English that the people would have spoken. She spoke to the people in their own language. Secondly, she was a little more hopeful than her contemporaries. After her brush with death in 1373, she had a vision in which Jesus appeared to her and assured her that everything will be well. Unsurprisingly, people rather liked this message, and she gathered followers devoutly seeking not only refuge from strife, but also answers from above. Julian put these follows on a scheme of solitary contemplation, meditation, and prayer. Like a very early adopter of mindfulness, Julian stressed these things above all else if people to find love for themselves, and above all, compassion and love for the world. Details of Julian's life are shrouded in mystery. Her name, 
In the Anchorite tradition of adopting the name of the church was taken from a choice of cloister, which was St. Julian's of Conisford in Norwich, and her given name, like much of her biography, is lost to us today. This is typical of what appears to be a pretty selfless person, however, as her primary mission was not to make herself historically or theologically famous, but to record the words she believed God spoke to her, for which she became a conduit. Even given this purposeful anonymity, however, much can be conjectured when her work is closely analysed. Because Julian vividly described colours and cloth in her book, The Showings of Julian of Norwich, and possibly because she had familiarity with paintings of the crucifixion that existed in Norwich, it is thought she came from a wealthy family, probably engaged in the Norwich textile trade. This is not hard to believe given that the textile industry was one of the common businesses in Norwich at the time. Also, due to her apparent familiarity with the contemplative life, it's possible that she may have been a Benedictine nun prior to becoming anchoress, which is another word for a holy recluse, who lived in a cell, or what's called an anchorhold, at the Church of St. Julian and Edward in Norwich. To become this anchoress, this hermit, she would have had to face an interview by the local bishop to ascertain whether she had a genuine calling to a life of devotion. Such a vocation would have been unusual for Julian, as most women, especially the wealthy, were just expected to marry, have children, and keep house or assist in the management of the family estate. Julian's church, located on the main road in what was then England's second largest city, would have been in close proximity to the bell in the Cathedral of Norwich, which would have helped regulate a devotion of prayer. An anchorite didn't get out much, and was expected to live in almost complete seclusion so as to bring themselves further from our world and nearer to the metaphysical world. To that end, she became a pioneer of what we now call self-isolation, and spent most of her life in a cell next door to St. Julian's Church, listening to the bells of the nearby cathedral. It was during this self-confinement that Julian was stricken with the serious ailment we described, which lasted for seven days and six nights, and was to result in the first of her many visions. Much like William Copper, who we discussed in our last podcast, Julian received her visions during these times of physical and psychological distress. Shockingly, Julian had prayed to actually receive an illness that simulates the experience of dying, because, for a mystic, a physical or spiritual death is a necessary condition for a direct experience of the Almighty, not only offering a penance for the sins of a life, but a preparation for such a union in the afterlife. According to her book, she desired, or petitioned as she called it, three visions. The first vision, what she called the mind of the passion, was so that she might witness with her own eyes Christ's suffering, as did Mary Magdalene and the others, and thus suffer with him. Through this shared suffering, she hoped that she might have more knowledge of the bodily pains of crucifixion, and some understanding of the love that those who had witnessed it felt for the victim. The second petition, the vision that she wanted, was termed a bodily sickness seemingly unto death. Julian desired that so she could receive the last rites of the Holy Church. She decided to have pain and suffering, both bodily and spiritually, and assault from devils, so that by receiving the last rites of the church, which is properly called extreme unction, she would be closer to God. Her third petition for a vision, as she called them, was to receive three wounds. Julian related to the story of St. Cecilia, who died after receiving three wounds in her neck from a sword. Likewise, Julian asked God to grant her three wounds to symbolize the suffering and compassion of the victim. This latter petition remained in Julian's mind throughout her entire life, even as her former requests did not. At one point during the suffering, Julian's mother closed Julian's eyes, thinking her daughter had died without receiving the vision she had petitioned for. However, 
On May the 13th, 1373, she recovered and then received not only the visions she had petitioned for, but 13 more as well. These visions, or showings of love in the local vernacular, she believed to be of a divine origin. She had received them as she meditated on the crucifix a local curate had bought to her while in recovery. The crucifix appeared to come to life in a reenactment of Christ's crucifixion. This led to visions not only of the crucifixion, but of angels and demons, wounds and sufferings, battles and calamities, and eventually God and the devil themselves. Julia recorded the visions and messages that God gave to her to pass on to the others, feeling compelled to share these showings with other people, even though she was a woman and the chances of anyone listening would be slight. Julia prepared in the first person vernacular a short description, usually referred to by scholars as a short text soon after the visions. Julia then pondered these visions for about 20 years, and around 1393 she wrote an expanded version of her visions called the long text, which is roughly six times the length of the short text, which is highly regarded for its poetic, spiritual, devotional and theological elements, and makes her the first recognised English female author. Julian's contemporary reputation as a holy woman attracted the attention of Marjorie Kemp, who we'll look upon in another podcast. Kemp had sought out Julian in 1413 for advice about the uncontrollable weeping that Kemp had experienced. According to Kemp, their visit together lasted many days, and Julian assured Kemp that the tears were a gift from God and not the devil. Julian of Norwich lived as a sort of oracle in the city, and was seen by some as a direct connection to God himself. We don't know exactly when she eventually did die, but a quest by a local man in 1416 to Julian her servant indicated that she was alive at that date, and still an anchoress. Her ideas, theology, and spirituality survive in a handful of manuscripts on which several editions and translations are based. The general nature of Julian's work combined with the paucity of factual information we have has led to different and often conflicting conjectures regarding her life, as well as widely divergent readings of her work. Further, her book had drawn greater attention to the position of women in late medieval England. Her description of Jesus as a maternal figure, which is unusual and original, although not unique to Christian writings, has led many scholars, especially feminists, to see Julian of Norwich once again as an oracle whose life was touched by something beyond our understanding. And beyond that, her most famous quotation, namely that all shall be well, and all shall be well, and all manner of things shall be well, can almost become a mantra, something to repeat yourself in these troubled times, and a reminder that happiness is transitory. But so is sadness, and so indeed is anything mortal. Please rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast through whichever podcast you use. And feel free to get in touch with us at hallowedhistories at gmail.com. This episode was presented by me, Richard Shepard, with research done by Dr. Linda Shepard and technical production by Stephen Parks. It was recorded at the UEA's media suite in Norwich, to whom we are indebted for their continued support, as we're equally indebted to the Norwich Heritage Centre. Thanks very much.